You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Vermeil, host of Locked On Heat. And we've got a great show for you today. We'll be discussing the latest rumors regarding Andre Iguodala and Clint Capella later on in the show. But we start in Miami, where the Heat beat the Sixers 137-106. to It was a signature win for the Heat, and in a game studded with all-stars like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, it was Jimmy Butler who was the game's best player, David. Yeah, by far. He was aggressive early on. His long-range shooting has been a little off, and that's to say he has not hit a three-pointer in a couple weeks at least. And he was two of two from behind the line against Philadelphia. So clearly trying to prove a point against his former team. Finished with 38 points on 14 of 20 shooting. Was aggressive early on, as I said, in getting the basket. But then as the game went on, was even more comfortable spacing the floor. Looked like he was trying to really prove a point, particularly against Ben Simmons, who had no way of defending Jimmy all night. Jimmy was able to get right past Simmons on his way to the rim. And then again, when he was shooting from long range, proving a point making a statement game here for Miami, who goes on a long road trip. And on top of that, they're also improved to 3-1 and one in the season against the Sixers. And the way they beat them, I mean, scoring 81 combined points in the second half, um, when Philadelphia really couldn't muster much of anything, really sort of put the, the punctuation on this game, right? It just showed them, like, hey, when it's crunch time, we're going to take care of business in a way that Jimmy Butler did for Philadelphia and in a way that the 76ers often this season have had a tr- have had a hard time. Yeah. They've had a hard time closing out games without Jimmy Butler. Yeah, particularly on the road. Philadelphia has really struggled against the road. There are eight games, I think nine games below 500 uh, following tonight's loss. Yeah, uh, nine and 18. Right. Yeah. So they, they are not very good. Uh, Brett Brown was asked about it before the game. Didn't have any clear answers. He, he really, he thought the defensive identity was part of the problem. And, and so... Um, clearly, they weren't any better defensively. They're a very good defensive team normally, particularly at home, where they have the best home record, only two losses in Philadelphia so far this season. But on the road, it's been a completely different uh, story. And against Miami tonight, they were pretty even up until the end of the first half, where they were only down by four. And then in the second half, they just seemed to fall apart. Uh, Jimmy's aggressiveness really got to both of them. But, uh, you know, Joel Embiid just wasn't he particularly engaged. Tobias Harris was 3 of 12 from the field. Nobody seemed like they could get a shot in for Philadelphia. And although Embiid finished with 29 points, a lot of those came late in the fourth quarter when Miami was already well ahead and had a comfortable lead moving forward. And so the, uh, Philadelphia has some problems. Not only are they, you know, somewhat have this somewhat split personality where they're so much better at home and, and so much worse away, but uh, this does not look like a contending team. And, and, you know, I've been very staunch as far as believing that they have a way of turning it around, but I'm starting to have legitimate concerns, and I think the Sixers are as well. It was a pretty quiet, deadly scene in that locker room uh, following the game. Brett Brown kind of held court for quite a, a time. Uh, did not come out and address media right away, and so I, I think if there are any concerns about him, quote-unquote, losing the locker room, uh, certainly tonight's performance didn't help any. For those not aware of this, um, David is actually at American Airlines Arena right now, so he was in that locker room. You were in the Heat's locker room. You were watching that game up uh, firsthand in person. And was it – I mean, you mentioned some of the struggles that these other Sixers have. I mean, Joel, Joel Embiid uh, brought it tonight, 29 points, a 9-14 shooting, at 12 rebounds, a couple of assists. Uh, ben Simmons had an, uh, a pedestrian game for him, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. I, I wouldn't consider that a great game. Didn't really look like he had a huge impact on the game. He was oh, the On the Sixers, he was the worst at a minus 31. 
was and then of course Al Horford and Tobias Harris's struggles that you mentioned there. Was it Miami's defense that did that to them, or was it just Philadelphia being a crap team on the road? Well, I mean, look at it this way. Miami gave up 106 points, and they did give up almost 30 to Joel Embiid. So it's not like they really tightened the screws defensively. It was on the defensive front where Philadelphia just completely fell apart, particularly in that second half where they gave up the most points in the Heat franchise history, 81 second-half points. I mean... You know, Horford has been struggling for much of the past few weeks, and I think for most of the season for Philadelphia. Harris's struggles are a little bit more surprising. I don't think they did anything, Miami that is, didn't do anything to Harris to really limit his shots. A lot of those were wide open looks. He just wasn't knocking those down. 0 of 6 from three-point range. Uh, Miami has kind of relied on giving up a lot of three-pointers over the course of the season, but they have also used that zone defense very effectively to to limit what they do at the rim and in the mid-range game. And as far as their defense is concerned. I mean, it was okay. It was acceptable, but Philadelphia just fell apart defensively. I think that was the real story of the game. How did Bam Adebayo stand up to guys like Embiid in that that big Sixers front line? Phenomenally. I think uh, Myers Leonard, the starting center, who did roll his ankle in the third quarter and is expected to have an MRI tomorrow, uh, he, he was starting off on Embiid in the first quarter, and then when Embiid came out of the game, so did Bam Adebayo. And then Bam took over and, and kind of defended Embiid from that point forward. And while he doesn't have the same kind of size Embiid does, he uses his athleticism and his speed so much more effectively where he can front Embiid and prevent the pass from happening. He might give up a shot at the rim if Embiid is able to curl around him. But uh, even when Embiid tries to face up the basket, Bam is doing his best to move his feet, keeping his hands up, and just making the shot uncomfortable for Embiid. So while you see 29 points in the, in the a box score for Joel Embiid, a lot of that was, again, in, late in the game uh, in garbage time against other players or at, at points in time like early on when he was going up against Myers Leonard. Uh, Adebayo, to my opinion, really had a great night defensively against Joel Embiid, doing everything he can to limit him. So the win puts Miami now in fourth place, pretty clearly in that top four now. They're 34-15, and 15, joining the Celtics at 34-15. and 15. Toronto's only two games better. Milwaukee is running away with the number one seed. The loss puts Philadelphia, it, it sinks Philadelphia from the number five seed to now the number six seed. They're now a half game back behind the Pacers. The Sixers, they're, they're on a three-game losing streak now, and they've got some things to fix. I mean, they are entrenched, obviously, in a playoff spot. There's quite clearly a top six in in the East, right? I would consider the East having six real playoff teams, and two teams are going to make it by default, um, and they're among those six. But they, I, I I'm with you. I'm, I I was bullish on the Sixers to start the season. They were actually my finals pick to make it out. I love their size, especially in a matchup against Milwaukee. I right. still think the East is going to be pretty matchup based in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but um, it, it is clear. That if Jimmy Butler can do what he did to the Sixers, I mean, guys like Giannis are going to be able to do that. I mean, when it really comes down to it, I mean, the Alpha Dogs, Alphas, just seem to have an advantage against Philadelphia that that is just quite frankly lacking that. Um, some other scores from around the NBA really quick. The Orlando Magic beat the Hornets as Markel Fultz had 12 points and 14 assists, 112 to 100. The Knicks beat the Cavaliers um, in a game that nobody watched. Kevin Love had uh, 33 points and 13 rebounds. Uh, Marquise, uh, Marcus Morris had 26 points for the Knicks. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks beat the Pacers 112-103. to Kristaps Porzingis, uh, 38 points and 12 rebounds on the night. The Warriors beat the Wizards 125-117. to Alec Burks, 30 points right before the trade deadline. Good for him. The Boston <laughs> Celtics, 123-115 to over the Atlanta Hawks. Jason Tatum had 28 points and 7 assists. And the Brooklyn Nets 
led by Karis LeVert, beat the Phoenix Suns 119 to 97. LeVert had 29 points and 7 assists. DeAndre Ayton for the Suns, 25 points, 17 rebounds. A pretty high double double for him. And the Memphis Grizzlies beat the Detroit Pistons 96 to 82. Jonas Valanciunas had 26 points, 17 rebounds, and 4 blocks. Coming up, why the Grizzlies' young players are right about Andre Iguodala. Win two tickets to see your favorite team in their home arena by guessing an NBA trade perfectly before it happens. Pre-bomb the Woj Bomb. Go to any of the Locked On NBA Net accounts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Post the trade you think will happen. Tag five people with your trade in your post. If you're right, then you have a chance to win two tickets to see your favorite team play in their home arena. Trades will be evaluated based on players and picks, not cash. If multiple people win the first person with the with the correct trade is the winner. One person will be chosen across all locked on social accounts. If no one guesses the exact trade, the winner will be the one closest to the pin. Go now and pre-bomb the Woj Bomb with your trade deadline trade at Locked On NBA Net. There has been a lot of noise regarding Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala has been saying that uh, he demands a trade. He won't play for the Grizzlies all season. After having gotten traded to them before the year, the Warriors moved him along with a first-round pick to create the cap space necessary to execute the sign-and-trade for D'Angelo Russell. Iguodala, apparently unhappy about that, said, I'm not going to play for the Grizzlies. They worked it out. They said, look, don't worry. You don't have to play for us. We'll trade you by the trade deadline. Iguodala apparently gave them a, a list of destinations, which are basically the two L.A. teams, apparently. And uh, if he doesn't get his way, he's just not going to play this whole year. Even if the trade deadline comes and goes, he will not play. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies are maybe the best story in the NBA this year. They have a chance at making the playoffs. They're a darn good basketball team. And if Andre Guadalla, if what he wants to do is compete for the playoffs, he's already on a team competing for the playoffs, but it's not good enough for him. And I think it's been causing, uh, it's been casting a shadow on an otherwise positive locker room. And today, after the Grizzlies win... Dylan Brooks, who has had a, a good year for them, was asked about Andre Iguodala and, as the trade deadline is approaching, and he said, quote, I can't wait until we find a way to trade him so we could play him and show him really what Memphis is about. Then, stud rookie John Morant, leader for Rookie of the Year, retweeted it. And so, David, I just want to – I've said this before. I'm on the record of saying this. I think that they're right. I think Dylan Brooks and John Morant are right. Uh, I think they're right to say this. I think they're right to call him out because, look – Andre Iguodala, you're getting paid $17 million to not do anything, and it's weak, man. It's really weak. And if you if if you're if there's a sense of entitlement that he has that hey, if I don't get to play for the Clippers or the Lakers, I don't want to play at all. Well, dude, you're getting paid $17 million, and you don't have to, and you're not doing anything for it. You haven't earned it. You're not doing your job. You're quite literally not showing up to work. And honestly, I'm shocked that the NBA hasn't stepped in because it's it's a really bad look for Andre Iguodala, but it's a bad look for the NBA too because you know if this had been a more high-profile player then that they would have actually done something. But because it's 36, 37-year-old Andre Iguodala, whatever he is, I guess they're casting... And because it's in Memphis, they're sort of turning away from it. But this is a problem, and I have a real problem with the way Andre Iguodala is handling this, David. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of disagree, to be honest with you, because from everything that we've heard, he had an arrangement with the team. You know, Memphis went into the season knowing that they were going to be an active rebuild there. 
They had made some trades earlier in the offseason where they were clearly dismantling this team. They had John Moran early. They, they were rebuilding last year after having traded Marcus Saul. They traded Mike Connolly again during the summer. So this was we knew what this team was going to go be like at the start of the year. At least we thought we did. And so I think they had a clear arrangement with Iguodala. And to be honest with you, I, I think it was something that they both agreed upon. And so when this team unexpectedly started outperforming whatever low expectations we all had for this team, I don't know that Iguodala's role in the team should have changed. He didn't want to play for a rebuilding team, even one that's been at least flirting with a playoff job. I don't think they're actually going to make the postseason. I know they'll, they're, they're somewhere in that top eight right now, but they'll probably fall but out the way. Can't Iguodala help them make the postseason? No, but that's the they, thing. These are they've players. already got. You know, I mean, they've already got a different core moving forward. Like I think Iguodala feels comfortable being on a veteran-laden to- a team, like one like he just played on with the Warriors, uh, where he knows his role. He can make an impact, particularly in the postseason. I think he would have. There would be unfair expectations, especially with what's going on right now. Like, how can he step onto the floor in Memphis right now at the FedEx Forum? And, and have any kind of goodwill from those fans there. How are they going to receive a player who's actively sat out? And we tend to, uh, you know, we tend to side with with management and ownership when it comes to things like that. But there was at least a verbal agreement here, and so I, I don't think that any side has done anything wrong. To, to Memphis's side, they just continued to find a way to win games. To Andre's side, oh, he's continued to work out. He didn't want to play for Memphis, and there was no reason why he should have. Uh, to be honest with you, I know it's, he's under contract, but if he said, you know what? I would rather just not play for you guys. And the Memphis front office was like, cool, we don't really want you to play either because chances are you're probably going to be too good for this team and you're going to push the ceiling a lot higher than we wanted to. All of a sudden, they start winning games. I don't think the Memphis front office wants 36-year-old Andre Iguodala making an impact when you have guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant making such a huge impact. And Dylan Brooks playing the way he has. I mean, who knows? If Iguodala's out on the floor, maybe these guys don't get that same kind of opportunity. Maybe chemistry changes dramatically. Maybe it just doesn't work. I mean, Jonas Valanciunas had, what, 26 points in the win tonight for Memphis? I mean, there's no way he's going to get those same kind of touches on a team with Iguodala on there. Oh, I don't know about Valanchunas, but a guy like Dylan Brooks certainly, and all these other guys on the wings that have been playing. Kyle Anderson has been playing well. And look, I don't think I don't think Andre Iguodala is much of an upgrade over Kyle Anderson. I, frankly, I, I think he, Kyle Anderson's had a nice year for them. But uh, to me, I just the guy didn't have a no trade clause. He didn't have any real leverage. He just was on the Warriors, and they traded him. And I think what the genesis of the agreement was was. We don't want you to play because we want to play all these young guys and we don't really expect to do anything and we don't want to damage what you are, which is a trade asset, right? And so that's ultimately, I think, what the decision came down to, what this agreement came down to. But it's not like Andre Iguodala has any sort of leverage whatsoever in this situation and he's acting like he somehow does. He is acting like he is somehow entitled to only compete for a playoff team and obviously it's bothering the Grizzlies, because he's telling, like, that that's why Dylan Brooks says this. This is why John Morant retweets it tonight. Uh, I, I think that they do feel like... That, oh, they're slighted, but without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's they have pride as professional athletes, as human beings. They don't want to be disrespected from some guy they don't even know. Like, Iguodala was, what, the fourth best player in the, in the the on the Warriors? Maybe fifth best player? It's... Yeah. They don't want to be disrespected by anybody, but certainly not by him. And so, yeah, I mean, they've got pride in what they're doing. They're they're having success, unexpected as it is. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting conundrum there. I, I think I think we'll probably start to see 
because I, 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 I don't see any reason why anybody would want to make a trade and give up their own assets for a player like Iguodala, who's likely to agree to a buyout at some point. Once the trade deadline passes and he is not moved, I, I would imagine that the two sides will start negotiating a buyout, and Iguodala is going to have to give up a chunk of the money that he didn't want to give up at the start of the season. And that, I think, is hurting him, right? I, I wonder if... if teams would be more open to trading for him if they were able to see him for the last three months uh, as opposed to what's been going on. I don't know. Um, it does seem like he'll get moved at some point. He may have to get bought out. Maybe he gets moved for the deadline. Memphis has been really uh, 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 been really adamant that they will not buy him out, that they will get an asset for him, but they've already gotten an asset for him, right? They got the first round pick uh, for acquiring him, and I don't think it hurts them to buy him out, but I, I get why they would be so staunch in saying we're not going to trade him when we're you know only a few hours away from the trade deadline, basically. Um, speaking of the trade deadline, coming up, where is the best de- destination for Rocket Center Click Capella? If you've been a listener to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all of the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On NBA is a great way for your local business to reach passionate NBA fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. Local fans love to support local business. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. Let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, David, a lot of trade rumors, a lot of bunch of stuff going on, a lot of noise happening before Thursday's NBA trade deadline, and there's a few big names on the market, one of which is Clint Capella for the Houston Rockets. And the reason this is, I think, maybe the most pertinent trade that we're going to be talking about is because it seems like there is real... A fire where this Clint Capella smoke is coming from, right? I think the Rockets have real motivation to move him. They seem to be looking for a wing. I think that's the right move, David. I just don't know what the trade out there is for Clint Capella. We know that the Hawks are interested. There's several other teams interested. What do you think about Clint Capella? Do you think the well, let's start there. Where do you think the Rockets should move him if it means uh, finding an upgrade on the perimeter? Well, from what we're hearing, there's also some financial motivation there from the heat, uh, from the team ownership to look, uh, looking to uh, avoid uh, paying, I, I think, as much as $140 million in the expected luxury tax for the season. So they're absolutely looking to move, shed salary as well. Um, you know, Capella doesn't necessarily fit with the construction of this team right now. He's a solid defender. He's a good rim runner. He provides some benefit there for that team. But clearly they're so dependent on Russell Westbrook and James Harden for most of their offense. Uh, It's just his role is mitigated there. So I I think they can comfortably move on from Capella and not damage their somewhat weak title chances to begin with. So, uh, you know, if they can get some kind of a perimeter defender and a 3 and D type player that fits their model a little bit more effectively, it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. They go small ball anyway with P.J. Tucker. Um, You know, it's maybe the team's ceiling isn't particularly high and and Capella doesn't change it all that dramatically. So if you can get a decent big, if we're hearing the kind of proposals that were, were, have been rumored, especially like from Boston, they could exchange a guy like Daniel Tice and maybe a first round pick, maybe Ennis Cantor uh, in exchange for Capella. 
both of those players offer some value and don't restrict what Houston can do financially in the next couple of seasons. I mean, Tice is a pretty solid defender and good rim runner. Kander can provide some scoring and rebounding around the rim. So, you know, that's not a bad haul for a team that's looking to change things. And, and I think Capella makes sense on the Celtics as well. So, um, you know, not to go too deep into what team might be the best fit for Capella right now because no, – I mean, I mean, Let's yeah. do it. I mean, I like the Hawks are the Hawks are out there. Clint Capella is a young guy. Kind of does that make any sense to you? Because I mean, yeah, John Collins to, to trade him. Yeah, for, for just, but they 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 obviously look at John Collins as a power forward, or they're just not high on his ultimate ceiling, which you know might be the case. I think everybody is, thinks that John Collins is a nice player. I don't know how good he actually is. Is he going to make an All Star team? I don't know. Like he's shown some range. He seems like a nice player overall, but I don't know that he's an All Star type guy. Um, when you actually get to where the Hawks want to go, which is eventually the playoffs, um, Clint Capella is a, is a nice player uh, who kind of s- will cement what they need to do. Um, they're they're terrible defensively. I think they, they need help rebounding. I think he helps in all those places, I, I guess. I mean, they were interested in Andre Drummond. I guess that, like this is a position of need, according to them. And if they could fill it with Capella, then I guess they would go for it. And he's a better value, I think, at $15 million a year than, than Drummond is. But... Uh, they also have almost $5 million in cap space, which would allow the Rockets to save that much amount in, in returning salary. So if they do want to get below the tax, like that, that a Hawks trade does make sense. Now, the thing is, the other, the other part of this is we're hearing that the Rockets want draft pick compensation for Capella because right. they want to move those draft picks for that wing player. So it's not going to be a one-for-one, one, right? It's not gonna, they, I don't think that they expect the Rockets to trade Capella for the perimeter player that they are targeting. I think that they are targeting a perimeter player. I think they probably already have a trade lined up if they can get the assets that they need to execute the trade. And I think that trade is for Robert Covington, David, because all we know from the the Timberwolves is that they want draft pick compensation for Robert Covington. What are the Rockets looking for? Draft pick compensation. What do the Rockets need? A perimeter player. What does Robert Covington play? The perimeter. He can play the three while P.J. Tucker plays the four. If they go small, like you said, and put Tucker at the five, then Robert Covington can move down and play the the small ball four position. He's a good fit, I think, for Houston, especially because all you have to ask him to do is stand in the corner, shoot threes, and then play defense, which is exactly what you need to do when you're surrounded with, you know, when James Harden and Russell Westbrook have a usage rating of a bajillion. So... It does sort of feel like we are going into, like it may or may not happen, but it does feel like all the teams in play here are trying to get to a point where Clint Capella ends up on the the Hawks or the Celtics or something like that, and Robert Covington ends up on Houston. And so, would you do you think that the Covington acquisition moves the needle for the Rockets? Somewhat. Um, I, I think we're entering into that this phase now where because Covington is solid in what he does, he's almost become a little bit more um, uh, overvalued, I think. Uh, you know, he is a solid shooter. He is a solid defender. He is somewhat switchy and versatile, so he does provide some options for teams defensively. But he also has injury concerns. His salary isn't bad, but what if he's – you know, not available late in the season. And they already, you know, they've already gone through this problem when they had Chris Paul breaking down towards the end of last season, the season before. I don't know that they can afford to make this kind of move, giving up on Capella, who's a nice young player, albeit one who's getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money, and and acquiring a guy like Covington who could potentially break down towards the end of the season. So he's a fine acquisition, but again, it just seems like we're kind of overvaluing what he can do for this team. I, I don't know that he moves the needle all that substantially. 
Um, he's he's probably just a piece, and it seems like again I, the overall theme for the move or the trades seems more about shedding salary just because the owner is is a cheap bastard and doesn't want to pay that much in luxury tax. It, it has nothing right. to do with winnings whatsoever, and that's unfortunate because we're starting to see Russell Westbrook's window on a championship close. James Harden uh, likely to to have that kind of championship closing if he remains in Houston, and so I'm, I'm not sure what the end game here is for the Rockets because they don't seem to be legitimate contenders either. Do you think Capella then moves the needle for Boston in the Eastern Conference? Because that that could make some like obviously that would help. I think Boston makes them a better team, but does it make them better than say Milwaukee? Because I think if you make a Capella trade with a match a potential matchup with Milwaukee in mind, right? You want a rim protector like Capella to guard right. against Giannis. Yeah, I, I do actually. Uh, Boston. Boston has been a very surprising team. I, I don't think anybody projected. Like I mean, I remember in our preseason preview, I talked about addition via subtraction because they moved Kyrie Irving, and kind of looking at the the you know the intangible uh, impact that that would have. And that locker room is clearly much more harmonious. But you look at the talent on that floor, and, and Kemba Walker's playing really well. Gordon Hayward's had some on and off moments, but he's he's been a factor. You've seen the continued growth of their young wing players and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, they're a very good group, and they're getting some good contributions from a number of players. They're deep. They come at you. They defend well. They're smart offensively. And you get a player like Capella on there. He might just be. He might just be enough to really shut down a team in Milwaukee. That as good as they are, I still have concerns about whether or not they'll be able to to be a, a better version of the team that we've seen over the last couple of seasons in the playoffs. Yeah, I think also with Kemba Walker, who was among the best pick-and-roll players in the league when he was in Charlotte, has done a lot less of that pick-and-roll stuff in Boston because they just really just because of Brad Stevens' offense doesn't really call for it. But if you brought Capella in, I think you would see a lot more of that, right? And I think a, a, a Clint Capella, Kemba Walker pick-and-roll tandem could be very helpful in the playoffs when things tend to break down and you just need a staple play to go to every once in a while. We've seen Brad Stevens' you know, harmonious offense sort of fade in the postseason when you when you just need a guy to take over. You need Kawhi Leonard to just go isolation. Well, I don't know. Like, Jason Tatum is emerging, but I don't know. I, I, he's not at that level yet. So if, you have, if you've got Tatum being able to isolate a little bit, you've got Kemba and, and Clint Capella have, with a nice two-man pick-and-roll game, that just adds a whole other dynamic offensively that I think could really help them. And, of course, defensively, you're just adding size and a rim protector and a guy you could switch on the perimeter – and we know how much that the Celtics like to switch. Uh, I think it would be a really good move for them. It would be interesting to see if they can get it done. Agreed. Um, there could be a whole. There'd be a whole lot of other things that could get done between now and the trade deadline. And we will have it all covered here at Locked On NBA. Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. For David Ramil, I'm Wes Goldberg. Thanks for listening.